It's go time. Welcome, everyone, to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon, along with very special guest, joining us once again from the Turf District, Andrew Hoskins. Andrew, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me back on. It seems like uh, it's been excruciatingly long since I've chatted with you because uh, usually we we are chatting uh, on the podcast here every couple of weeks, and now like it's been almost a month. I don't know what's going on. No, I'm kidding. No, I just appreciate you having me back on, man. It's awesome to talk to you. Oh, that's always great. And what I really enjoy is the candor that we develop in our show because we don't always see everything the same way. And I think that's really important that different perspectives come forward. Absolutely. How about we go with uh, the announced spate of rule changes that the Canadian Football League has unveiled? Mm -hmm. There are lots, lots of interesting ones to talk about there. Yes, the hash marks moving in. Uh, They are now going to be 28 yards from the nearest sideline instead of 24. So they're going to be nine yards apart as opposed to 17. One thing, and this is your head coach that actually brought this up, is it's going to change the role of the linebacker, the Sam and the Will, the weak and the strong. Mr. Jones was right on with that. Yeah, I agree. You're going to have the same type of same same body type of those two players now because they're covering about the same amount of field where before it was definitely a mismatch. Interestingly, I've I've heard a few things. Obviously, a lot of the rule changes seem to kind of be going for the offense (laughs) and trying to generate offense. I think that's uh, something that was fairly obvious, but, uh, and, and lots of people were saying, Oh, well now that, that 12th man, the, the wide receiver that is out on the field side, now it's, more likely you can throw to them and they'll have, uh, you know, they'll be a little bit closer to get the ball. That boundary side guy now has more room to work with and he's usually the guy that's faster or or has the the bigger plays and those types of things. So I, I think the Will and Sam linebacker, you're, you're going to have the same type of, of middle linebacker. That, that Mac position is still going to be that big guy that helps the, to stop the run. But I think the Will and Sam are going to be the same type of body type because they're going to need to cover and they're going to need to be able to rush in. And you, and you, for guys like Chris Jones, he's going to be looking at it and going, I now have more space that quarterbacks will not know where I'm coming from. I could be sending the Will. I could be sending the Sam. I could be sending the, I could be sending the, um, the field side corner because it's, not as far as it was before. <laughs> like there's, there's definitely more scheming on both sides. So uh, I don't, I don't mind that rule change at all. Uh, I think it uh, opens up a few more options uh, for both sides of the ball, and I think it should be pretty fun. It also, I would say, helps running because if you're a fullback, halfback, and you're hitting the edge before on the boundary side, you only had so much room before you were basically trekked out of bounds. Now you've got an extra four yards to maneuver in there. And I think that's going to press a defense, especially off the edge, a lot more. Well, the other part of that is, is you could be running quote unquote wide side and not like you have to run 40 yards to get 
around the corner, <laughs> right? Like you could be rounding the corner a lot sooner because there's more, uh, or there's about the same amount of space over there. So I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I think it, I think it helps in all aspects to, I, for me. When I see that, I think there's a lot more opportunity for more exciting plays. And I think as a group, we're okay with that. Yeah. When you think of the, the size of the two fields, CFL versus NFL, I think there's roughly about 35 to 40 more percent playing area in the Canadian football league. And in some ways, you're maximizing it by bringing more of the play starting closer to the center of the field where you've got a lot more room on each side. Yeah, great statement. I love the way that you said that. That's exactly what we want, right? Give more space for these talented guys that have this speed. Uh, I'm hoping with that that we might get back to seeing those slots, you know, hitting the line at full speed. I, I remember us talking about this with Mookie Mitchell and how that was where he made his bread and butter is when he hit the line as the ball was was coming to the quarterback, he was at, you know, 98% speed. And I, I don't care who you are, that's hard to cover uh, when a guy is... At, and, and lately what we've seen is the guy is almost kind of jogging up to the line as the, as the ball comes to the quarterback. So I'm hoping with this balance of space, we might see a little bit more of that. And that to me is very exciting. The other thing too, if we just play this out a little bit more, the throw to the flat changes quite a bit. You've got a receiver who's coming off the edge. You're tossing it out to the flat. He's got extra room on that boundary side to go somewhere with it the field side okay he's got a little bit less but that doesn't really matter anyway it's not often that you would throw it that way anyway (laughs) anytime you've got more room on what is still the short side I think it's going to help offense because there's more room to maneuver defense has to be much more aware of moving to the outside because before there was always that sideline to help well it's not as close anymore that's true. Yeah. Uh, I was actually hoping with the um, with it moving in a little bit that you wouldn't see that, uh, not called a screen, what's that one that they basically turn and throw it straight out to the guy on the sideline? Old, old terminology would be flanker screen. Uh, sure. And I, like one or one a game, sure, you never know, right? It'd be kind of interesting. But when you're seeing it six, seven times a game, because and it's always going to the boundary guy because he's closer... I'm hoping this will limit that a little more. Let, let's have a little more creativity. And I just out of curiosity, too, I wonder how many throws in the first couple of weeks of the season are going to wind up out of bounds because the <laughs> quarterbacks have to readjust their arms. That's, that's entirely possible, but they weren't thrown to that far side very often anyway, so I don't think it'll be that big a difference. But uh, another part that we haven't talked about is is for the kickers, too, right? They need to get used to having that little more direct line than outside of the goalposts and that could also help scoring you know some of these guys that struggled last year maybe it's a little easier if you're a little bit more in front of the posts instead of I mean you're still to the side but that's a lot you know four yards in is a little easier to maybe get that angle proper the other thing that the league has done is brought in a sanction against persistent fouling so if you're having a second objectionable conduct penalty major foul called against you. It's shower time. You didn't have that before. And with this, this follows the NFL's lead. But I like it because if there's somebody who's got an agenda out there, you can get them off the field. Yeah, well, and as Superfan Mike called it, we'll just call that the Chris Edwards rule, 
because that's his role in life is to get more than one unnecessary roughness penalty. So we suffered with it for many years. So we'll see. But that's uh, I think that's that's a great that's a great move. Uh, I, you look at some of the times, and it's not often that you see two unnecessary roughnesses roughness penalties. My goodness, my tongue is having a hard time tonight. You don't see that double very often like you'll see one and then somebody else might get one but you don't usually see the same guy but if same same guy gets two all right you can have a seat for the rest of the night and I'm okay with that because these are the ones that are putting a higher chance of somebody getting hurt and we don't want that precisely the other thing that they've done and this is kickoffs now are going to commence from the 30 yard line at the start of a half or after a touchdown or a score, I should say. And single points, field goals, teams now can start at their own 40 as opposed to the 35. NFL teams start about one-fifth of the way down the field after a touchback, where CFL teams now, with this new rule, will be within one-third of the opposite goal line. Now it's 80 yards versus 70 yards, NFL versus CFL. But still, leave it where it was, it was fine. You've got to still earn something in this league. Okay, I can I can see that point, and and I will agree that I can. I I don't. They don't want to make it easy, but as a guy who's cheered for a team that their return game was catch and fall down, if we get an extra five yards out of it, I'm I'm not going to complain. I mean, the playbook opens once you get outside of like that thirty yard line, right? Twenty five to thirty yard line when you're Inside the 2025, your playbook gets smaller because you, if you make a mistake, it's going the other way and, and in the shadow of your own goalposts, right? So I think the idea was is if they can open it up where those returns are now hitting that 25 to 30, which, I mean, for my team, that would be amazing. <laughs> like anything outside the 15, uh, we'll take it. So if, if we can get there then maybe that playbook opens up and again it opens up for a bit more creativity and excitement as far as plays are concerned but the 40 after a field goal I did think that was a bit too much I think 35 is more than acceptable because I just finished saying that your playbook is still open at the 35 so um, I, I don't know that the 40 was really necessary but the kickoffs going back I can see the reasoning behind it to to create that creativity and again is it necessary? No. Is it something we want to look at? Sure, why not? I have to beg to differ. The kickoffs have been moved back from the 45 to the 35. Now they're down to the 30. What, in two more years, every kickoff's going to come from your own goal line? It doesn't make any sense to me. If you want to create offense, there's different ways to do it than just shifting where the ball starts after a made score or whatever. That, to me, is... Busy work. It, that's not the answer. The answer is moving of the hash marks. That's positive because that's something significant. That's going to alter the way people think about how they approach each play. Well, and I don't mind seeing it. I don't mind seeing it. It's not something that I'm like, wow, they really needed to do that. I don't mind seeing it though. Again, my only one was the 40 after the field goal. I'm like, eh, that's. I again, why? Like that was fine at 35, but kickoffs i'm like okay sure you want to try it all right i don't i that doesn't bug me one way or the other i guess what i find is really interesting is that the nfl 
brings their kickoffs to a point where they don't want the returns. They actually have the ball go into the end zone. They get the touchback. Yeah. One thing they did do, which I think is a positive, is they've moved the kickoff line to the 20-yard line after a safety. If you hadn't moved the kickoff after a touchdown five yards back, I think it would have really shown that 20-yard line kickoff as a real hole to dig yourself out of if you give up a safety. That's fair. Um, and I, I do like uh, 20-yard line kickoff after a safety. I still think guys are going to take a knee and kick it from the 20 because field position is still going to... Uh, I mean, unless you're, you know, when, when you're punting it from your goal line... Mm, you're not going to get as far as a kickoff would from the 20. I mean, you you, you might <laughs> have to really pound it. And so, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that made it look, it's a little bit more, hey, think about it if you're going to give up those two points, right? Think about it a little because it's not an, it's not automatic that you're gaining three quarters of the field. What drove me insane a couple years ago, Cody Fajardo is coming out of the end zone and he's doing everything humanly possible to get out of the end zone and the Ticats drill him at the goal line. Very next play, coach says, punter, take a knee. What was the message to Cody and the offense for doing everything they could to avoid that sack to get out of the end zone to save the two points and then the punter just stands back there and gives up the two anyway? Not good for morale. You never give up freebies in this because you never know when it's going to come back to haunt you in a game. And two points are freebies. Fair, but this game is all about field position. It's all about field position. It's where you start. It's where you can move the ball. And especially in that case where you're snapping the ball back, you're 15 yards deep in your end zone. A 40-yard punt is putting the other team in field goal range. So you give them the two, and you kick it farther down the field. Now, at the 20, again, your your kickoffs, what, do you, what are they probably going to land on their 40 in that range-ish, somewhere in there? Mm-hmm. That was about my thought. They might get midfield. They're not automatically in field goal range, and your defense has an opportunity to keep it to two points instead of three. If you give up a safety, I know it. It, chances are they're, the other team's looking to score anyway, and I get that. But I think the thought process for the coaches is I'd, I'd rather give up two than automatically give up three or possibly more. Derek Taylor, the amazing stats guy that he is, mm-hmm. drilled down into this whole question. And before we leave it, he found out that If you give up the two, the odds of you giving up another one on the ensuing drive, not another two, but more points on the ensuing drive, two out of three. Is that right? Okay. Single, field goal, or touchdown. Okay. 67% of the time, that team who just scored the two points piles it on. Hmm. Interesting. It'd be interesting to know if that's specific to some defenses, because I think the most teams that are giving up that two points safety, right? Giving up the two points. More often than not, they're the weaker team anyway. Because they had a bad drive. I don't have the number sitting in front of me, but if I had to guess last year, I would say the teams that gave up the the just forfeited safety um, are more often to be the Elks, the Red Blacks, and the BC Lions. Do any did any of those three have a, a an amazing defense that could then stop the next 
play. And that's why I, I think, although I appreciate the numbers and I of course appreciate Derek Taylor, I think that that would happen a lot with those guys, but Hamilton um, or Winnipeg who have a really good defense, right? The odd time that they have to give up that safety, their defense is likely going to make sure that that they don't score the next time around, right? Whereas if you have already the team that's struggling as it is, it's a lot easier for that to happen. So, I I get the numbers, absolutely, but I think it would skew. And as a coach, I'd be looking and going, well, maybe my offense isn't as strong this year, but I got a killer defense. So when I look at that, I look back to even 2015 uh, with the Elks. Their offense was good, don't get me wrong, but their defense was unreal. And same thing in Winnipeg, right? Their offense was good, but their defense is out of this world if, if I'm the coach in that situation I'm like yeah give up the two because that's all they're getting interesting rule change and this one I think maybe borrows from hockey a little bit and it's an objectionable conduct penalty for quarterbacks who fake giving themselves up by pretending to initiate a slide while carrying the football I've never really seen this as a problem but I totally get what they're worried about Defenders go after the quarterback thinking that he's sliding. Okay, I'm backing off, and then the guy keeps going. And it creates a real dilemma for defenders. Do I just plow him anyway when he does slide or not? Right. And I think the thing is, is, and I don't know this for sure, but what I have heard is that there was a, a particular quarterback, and I believe it was in the NCAA, that would do this on a regular basis. And then he would slide and the defender would hit him and then they'd get a penalty. But the next time he'd fake the slide so the defender would back off and he'd keep running. Well, the whole idea of the initial penalty penalty for the defender was to protect the quarterback. And now the quarterback was basically taking advantage of that. So I think with this one, the CFL is just getting ahead of somebody doing that same thing up here so that it doesn't happen. Because it, it takes away from the the meaning of the original penalty for the defender was to make sure that the quarterbacks were safe. Again, I hadn't seen it really in the CFL on any level. No, I haven't seen it here either. If it's something that you are concerned could happen for sure, let's deal with it before it becomes a problem. I don't mind that at all. That's very preemptive and yep. that's fine. The other things that are, are happening are with the command center. Uh, one is there's going to be a communications coordinator from the officiating department, and they'll be embedded on the uh, team's bench as well and connected to on-field officials via headset. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to have an official trot over to the home team bench and say, what are you challenging? They can actually talk to them on the field, and that saves 10, 15, 20 seconds every time they trot over there. Yep, I love it. I love that. Anytime in any part of life that you can increase communication is a good thing, <laughs> in my particular opinion. So, um, And in this case, it will help to speed up the game, and I think it will help to make sure that there isn't some confusion where you've got a coach that wants to you know, throw a challenge flag at the last minute, but they're now running down the sidelines screaming at a sideline ref. Well, now they just go to that guy and say, ah, challenge, and he can radio it in and it happens. I 
think that's great. Um, I yeah, and timeouts, same thing. So uh, I I think this is a really good really good move to keep the pace of the game going, but make sure that the communication stays the same or better. There might be a, a coach on the team that's going to be responsible for keeping that guy close to the head coach. A, a coach herder. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Stay over here. Stay over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They'll, uh, next thing you know, we'll have these little uh, dogs on the sidelines that just make sure that the guy stays near the coach. It's all, like, all little herding dogs. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, too, is that the command center's role is being enhanced quite a bit. And I kind of like what they're doing with this. Uh, possession rulings, boundary rulings, anytime you can get on top of it, because you do see the video, TSN typically has the replay going pretty quick. I don't know what they do in Toronto if they watch the TSN feed or have a house feed that they, they follow. Typically, they have that information quite readily available. And if they see something, it would be nice to get rid of the coach's challenge altogether. If the booth could manage it, maybe... Or if the uh, co- uh, coaches still want to maintain that challenge, instead of dealing with timeouts, give them a ten-yard penalty because you're wasting our time. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I like the um, I like having the coaches challenge. I, I think that it, you can find things at certain time. It can be almost strategic. So I I don't I don't mind that part. I like the way that they have it now. You have one, and if you blow it, you get no others. If you get one right, you get another one. I know that last year in particular, uh, even 2019, there were a few times where I think us as collective fans were saying, that's unfortunate he had to waste that challenge on that because that's really obvious. And I'm hoping that that doesn't happen and that the the command center can actually get involved in those quicker and then we don't have to... Then your coach isn't like, oh, now I have to waste my challenge i know i'm right but i I, now i have to waste my challenge and i don't have it at the end of the game i i think that would be great it the game is never going to be called perfect nor do i think we should expect it to be called perfect because the refs are humans but i I don't mind having it where it's like okay this is a good time to use that and and this will can turn the tide in our favor i just i would love to see the application of the sanction if you get it wrong changed from you lose a timeout to it's a 10-yard delay of game. Because that way, you're not doing something that may impact you in the fourth quarter when you need that timeout. You know the risk that if I get this wrong, we're moving back 10. Right. Yeah, maybe. Um, except, okay, so what happens, though, if it's if it's, they're challenging, uh, let's say there, there's a turnover, and they're challenging to say it isn't a turnover, but it is a turnover. So you're giving the offensive team 10 yards? Sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, the thing is with that, I think if soon as you do that, it's going to turn into, okay, well, then we should have unlimited coaches challenges because it's just 10 yards. So I, I don't mind that. I don't mind like the timeouts because then if they run out of timeouts and you still have a challenge, you can't use your challenge anymore. But that's the thing. I, I don't like that. And in the last three minutes, they don't need it anyway because the booth is taken care of it. Yeah. But I don't like that. I think if the consequence should be immediate. In other words, if you challenge a turnover and you're wrong, it's 10 yards, that ball's going to move. Okay, so how many times last year did you hear this? They challenged it, the command center looked at it, and they still got it wrong. A couple. Oh, I heard it so much. Not just in, not for just my team. 
but all teams where it's like they challenged it. They still left it the wrong way. And now the team is going to get penalized another 10 yards. Like I, I they're losing their time out. I know, but I, just like you said, that's not as big. It, it could affect at the end of the game. So is that really, I, I don't know. I think 10 yards is bigger in that scenario. Like, especially if it's like, wow, okay. So they got the call wrong in the first place. We challenged it. They got the call wrong again. And now we're going to go back 10 yards too. It's like, okay, well that timeout, we might need it. Absolutely. But it's, it's not like rubbing salt in the wound right at this moment. I'm not saying that the 10 yards is a bad thing. The one thing I do like about the timeouts is that you have to think about it because it could make it really hard at the end of the game, especially if it's close. Very true. Very true. Two quarterbacks are going to be allowed on the field at the same time. This is going to allow for hitch screens that get thrown down the field with the arm of a quarterback, not necessarily a receiver. Yes, absolutely. My only issue with this is I don't know how much we'll see it because of the, because of the only, you can only dress two quarterbacks. So if you put both quarterbacks out on the field. You can, you can have three in the lineup. The third one has to be somewhere else on the field. That's all. Uh, oh, sure. But it can't be as a quarterback. Jordan Lynch. Right. But he can't be as a quarterback. That's what I'm saying, right? On the roster, it has to be two quarterbacks. If they had three quarterbacks on the roster, legitimately three quarterbacks on the roster, then I could see you could have like your first and third quarterback that could go out and do something together. And then if they both get hurt, at least the second guy would be there to pick it up. That's my only worry with it. Um, on the other hand, the Elks now have um, you know eight quarterbacks going into camp. So two on the field might be great for them. I, I, I say we just get four more and have 12 on the offense. And no matter who it is, they can throw the ball down the field. It's great. Offensive line is like, come on. I got, I got to make sure two of them don't get hit. <laughs> like, I, have enough, I have a hard enough time keeping the one upright. <laughs> anyway. Nothing against Nathaniel Bahar, but... We don't need a situation where a receiver has to be an emergency quarterback. Correct. Three roster spots designated as quarterbacks has to happen. I, I think so. And then I think this rule's fun. I, I would love to see what guys like Lapolice can come up with on an offense with two quarterbacks on the field. That'd be pretty cool. And honestly, in Ottawa right now, where you could put uh, Mazzoli and Evans out on the field at the same time, holy man, no idea what would happen if those two were out there. I think it'd be kind of cool. So I like that idea, but I only like it if there's the insurance of the third quarterback, in my mind. I understand what the CFL did because it was so rare, but when it does happen, it's a real eye-opener as to why you need not do that. Right, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, we, we, we all know Nate Bahar here and, and uh, I, I wouldn't, I still want him, wouldn't want him to be in that position no matter what. That's not fun. Yeah. Two things that we did not see. One, four downs. Which we knew wasn't going to happen. Secondly, no 34 second clock or 32 second clock to get the ball back into play. Right. If you want more you need to quicken the pace of the game so you get more plays, and that would help offense, defense, fourth quarter. Maybe the defense is getting tired. That 20-second clock is kind of a myth outside of the last three minutes of a half. Right. Yeah, that's fair. 
I, I'm I'm not against that, like a 30, 32, 34 second clock, whatever it is. I've never heard it other than on your show, though. <laughs> so, I so, so I don't know if other people were talking about it to make that happen. I, I get that it's a loose 20 by a lot. Teams have obviously learned because lots of times you see them, you know, hiking the ball with one second left um, and they've lined up. And they've blown in the play, and they've stood at the line for 20 seconds. So yeah, I could see I can see where the benefit of that would be. But I, I my only thing with that is that I wouldn't want it to be uh, like the NFL, where it's you know, well there's 40 seconds, and they're just going to kneel out the play, and there's still two minutes left in the game, so let's just walk off the field. That's my only. You still have the 20 in the final three minutes. Oh, okay. So that doesn't change. Okay. Yeah, in the half and at the end of the game, the 20-second clock is the 20-second clock. Okay. But outside of that, it's quite common, and I've timed this. Uh, teams could take 38 seconds to put the ball back into play, even more than 40 if it's on third down. Oh, okay. And that, to me, is just absurd. I'm not paying my money to watch coaches decide what they want to do on third down. Yeah, sure. Well, it's either that or you got to get the, the refs to start blowing it in sooner. Like they put the they they go and they they go set the ball down and tweet let's go and you make your choice. They have to empower the refs then. They have to give them that. That's what I'm saying. Ability right now they don't have that ability. They're constantly looking over to the bench to try to find out what's going on. I don't think it's fair to them. I think if it's a hard and fast, arbitrary 30, 34, 32, whatever you want it to be, clock. Refs are taken right out of it, and they probably be the happier for it. The technology is there. I mean, heavens, we got a 24-second clock in the NBA. We can do a 32-second clock in the CFL. Yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. But uh, like I said, I don't even know whether they've talked about it, so I don't know what their opinions are on it either. <laughs> so, well, but I'll be honest. I threw it out to the rules committee. Okay. All right. Did you get a response? Yeah. Okay. And what was it? Interesting. Okay. Okay, and then you see. Now that doesn't yeah. mean that it went very far. I, like I said, I'm not opposed to it. I'm just wondering if you if you do need to empower the refs and say, hey, we'll go up there and plant the ball down, and as soon as you plant it down, blow the whistle and let's go. And teams got to get used to that too. We'll see. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. The draft last week. Mm-hmm. What was it like being in the room on draft day? Uh, it, was, it was great. Especially we were in the, I was in the locker room to watch it. David Beard and Cole Nelson were there and a bunch of the guys from um, event team and stuff from the Elks. It was awesome. Like, and we all quieted down when it was the Elks pick. And then for every other pick, it was, we we're just all chatting and it's like, oh yeah, that guy. Oh yeah, that guy. And we're talking about what happened and what we're planning for this year and all this. Stuff. And then it'd be like the Elks pick and everybody would wait. And then it would pick and, oh, okay. This is what, like, yeah. And I laughed because the, um, when they picked Trey Ford, uh, like the entire room was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like that was a big deal. 
that was pretty cool. I, uh, I I thought it was a great way to do it. I guess my guess from talking to the Elks is that they're going to start with these type of events, and then every year that event is going to get bigger. And then the next year that event will get bigger. The successful ones, don't get me wrong. The ones that aren't successful, they're not going to make bigger. But I'm, I look forward to this. I think it's going to be a really great way for fans to connect, and it's a great way to get excited about a draft that in many past years didn't get any excitement. So I... I, I really like how that's happening. And some of the announcements that they have coming right away, uh, that New Jersey reveal is not far off, and it's going to be amazing. Elks made news by trading the number one pick. Sure did. Traded some other players in the draft to sort of shuffle their lineup and shuffle their positioning where their selection would be. I wasn't surprised that they traded the number one pick overall. Montreal was very interested in Tyrell Richards. So, but I was kind of curious about the other trades with Hamilton. Yeah, the one with Hamilton, that was, that was a tough one for me because it saw Kyle Saxlett and Grant McDonald going and, and a global draft pick. That was their play to get that number eight pick because the Elks didn't have a pick in the second round because of the um, Arbuckle trade and then re-signing. So that got rid of their second round pick. When I spoke to G. Roy Simon after, he said they, they had to make a move. They wanted to have something in the second round and they couldn't really get a deal for the second round, but that pick eighth overall uh, was worth it. And and of course, we know who they picked at eight, which we can talk in a, in a little bit about. But but Kyle Saxlett, I saw him as a as a long term offensive lineman, and he's really I guess he's really bulked up too. He was all prepared to play guard, and, but he could play tackle. That's the thing. He was a Canadian that could play tackle, so that 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 definitely is a bit of a loss. At the time when it was just that, I thought, man, oh man, that's that's a really really costly for us, for not really a whole lot in return. And then I saw the Montreal trade with the the rights to Carter O'Donnell. Well, now, if Carter O'Donnell ever comes up here, then those trades look brilliant because Carter O'Donnell is absolutely on this line forever if he gets up here. You know, as it should be, we should always have an O'Donnell on our offensive line. I I don't know that he is actually going to come up here. But the move was made for that. The other thing that is... Not as much being talked about, but maybe a little bit, is that it freed up a ton of cap space for the Elks. Does that mean that maybe they aren't done yet? Maybe there is another move that they're looking at. Maybe there's another person they're hoping to bring in. Um, Or maybe they're going to try and leave some cap space available for when those NFL cuts come so that they have that spot to bring somebody back in. This absolutely opened that up. Tells me that they're pretty comfortable with their Canadian depth on the O-line when they're trading away a guy like Kyle Sackland. Alouettes had the first pick overall, the first time they've had that in something like 50 years. Yeah. Of course, the uh, long tentacles of Johnny Manziel are finally now released because all of those draft picks they gave up to Hamilton to get Manziel, they've run their course and the Alouettes are finally back in the first round. Yeah, not only in the first round, but first overall. Not a bad not a bad way to return to the first round, that's for sure. Um, and, and they got a great player in Tyrell Richards. I, I was happy that we had the fourth overall and ended up with Makonzo. What Tyrell Richards is as an athlete on the front side of the defense 
is what Makonzo is on the backside of the defense. <laughs> Makonzo can play in that secondary or uh, the Sam or Will linebacker position. Uh, Tyrell Richards was that guy that could play a linebacker position or a, a tackle or a defensive end, right? I, I think as far as flexibility and, and athleticism between the two, it's it's probably pretty close. Um, and uh, so made sense to 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 make the move there and and get on Montreal. I, I I'm hoping that their fans were excited about that cuz I think Tyrell Richards is going to be a great player to watch. Quarterback being drafted in the first round. That is rarefied territory in the Canadian Football League. Trey Ford. It was and um as I mentioned earlier, um exactly what we needed was another quarterback. Cuz we don't have enough yet. The rest of the draft we decided to see if we could get as many linebackers as we have quarterbacks, which was fun. But a big deal. The the kid can play. Um, he's an amazing athlete, and I believe he ran the second fastest forty at the combine. <laughs> Do, does he end up playing quarterback? I guess is the next question, especially in a Chris Jones led team who he likes to put players all over the place. So I I don't know if he actually ends <laughs> ends up at the quarterback position. On the other hand, if he's the guy that starts out, whether it's running back or slot or whatever and then you know your two quarterbacks get hurt and you need a third quarterback well he might be the guy like uh, I don't know how they plan to use him uh, obviously he has two NFL mini camps that he's going to at least um, so we likely aren't able to see him up here until closer to the end of training camp and uh, and then see kind of where it goes from there but he's an athlete all the way around and those are the guys that Jones and Simon are looking for. Nathan Rourke, the starting quarterback in British Columbia, sort of took that same route where he went down to the States. They were talking about making him a receiver. Right. And he bet on himself and said, I'm a quarterback, and he's got a starting job with the Lions. Uh, Trey Ford, he, he bet on himself with Waterloo that, hey, I want to be your quarterback. And it did wonders for that. I would be very surprised if he would stand for being shuffled off to the side somewhere. Yeah, uh, well, and, and who knows, right? Uh, obviously, it's not like they didn't talk to him at the combine. I'm sure that has come up in the conversation. So, if he fully believes it, that's great. And 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 if Jonesy's going to give him a shot at quarterback, I, I hope he does. And we'll see what happens because, uh, like at this point, we're what a week out from camp. We still don't know who's gonna be our starting quarterback so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over over training camp time and we have eight different quarterbacks so there's lots of options to look at and see who can do what there aren't enough footballs to hand out to everybody to have enough practice time with the ball as you get on the field with that many people i would venture a guess that at least three of those quarterbacks never see the light of day on the field uh, I don't know if it'll be that or it'll just be that it'll be like day four and you'll lose two or three of them. Like, I, I think that's more likely to happen. There's still a big question mark as to are, are they even prepared to put Nick Arbuckle on the field? We didn't see him at all last year. We know Jones and McAdoo saw him in Toronto. They haven't named him the starter. They are bringing in a ton of quarterbacks. Uh, we know JT Barrett seems to kind of be that Jones guy. Uh, and lots of rumors, of course, Arbuckle, that he was being shopped for a trade. I, I don't even know what happens with Arbuckle. If, if he comes out in training camp, 
you got to be prepared that if he's the best guy on the field, that he gets the position. If Jones and McAdoo don't want him in that position, then I'm not sure what they do in that. You know, I mean, they might be setting themselves up for an issue. So I, I, I don't honestly know how the next uh, week or so plays out. Nick Arbuckle to me is such an enigma because he had his coach from Calgary in Toronto and still didn't last a season with the Argonauts. Right. And the only team, the only guy to beat Winnipeg to that point, anyway, like when they were playing at full force, I don't get it. Like, I, and I know we've had lots of different conversations about, you know, he got here and, and, it was the week after, I think, Trevor Harris went out to Montreal. And Trevor Harris is starting games and playing in playoffs. And uh, granted, we didn't make the playoffs, but we had three games in a row and Arbuckle didn't even see the field. Like it didn't, I don't understand. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And especially for for doing the extension and giving away the, the second round pick instead of the third round pick. If you weren't going to actually see him on the field and make a plan with him then uh, like it doesn't seem fair to Nick either in my mind by all accounts he's a good dude I'm curious to see how they play that out and what actually happens with him and then what what they do in the quarterback position for the season Victor Kui and the Elks have announced their June 3rd game as a fundraiser for Ukraine Mm -hmm. and $15 game day ticket can't beat that. No. And $15 doesn't matter where your ticket is. $15 to just get in the door. And wherever you sit, you sit, basically. I think it's brilliant. I think a lot of people really like that move. They're they're really thinking, wow, this is outside the box thinking. This is the team not taking any profit on a preseason game with the whole thought of, can we fill the stadium with $15 tickets? And then give it to something that means something. This is the team that I fell in love with when I was a kid. They're doing the the outs, the things off the field are just as, if not more important than the things that are on the field. And that's, that's what we want to have. So I really love it. And I, I'm excited to see how many people that brings in. Um, I did see uh, one thing today where there was a season ticket holder that asked Victor, well, can I get the difference then for my ticket because I obviously didn't pay 15 and and Victor said absolutely you can and we will we will credit you the difference um he said or you can just consider that as your donation and to me that like it's just an it's another level of I obviously didn't pay 15 dollars for my tickets but I know that over and above that 15 is not going to the team, it's going to a great cause. I think it's a really, really good idea. And and hopefully a really good way to draw people into a preseason game. We're here because we're supporting a good cause, we want to have a good time, we want to see the guys out on the field. Great idea. People can follow you with the Turf District podcast that comes out every week. Sometimes you have a SPEP episode and you get a couple load in a week. Where else can people find you, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the first thing I would uh, recommend is to subscribe to our YouTube page because our show is live on YouTube on Monday nights, usually around 8 o'clock Mountain. Uh, we're just going to be getting back into weekly episodes right away because it is that time of year again where we get to talk about actual football. It's very exciting. 
And uh, so, yeah, join in there. Uh, join in the live stream. You can chat with us in there. We uh, we throw questions at our guests. We have uh, round tables, uh, and we have overtime where we just chat with each other and and uh, everybody that's in the chat. So that that's probably the the main place I'll I'll point people to go. Uh, obviously, the audio podcast, as you said, that comes out uh, uh, every. Tuesday usually, and then a episode in there if we can get one. Uh, but otherwise, uh, you can join us in the huddle on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and it's at the Turf District. Awesome! Thanks so much for being on the show again. Thanks again for having me, man. It was a blast. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. <laughs>